This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome one and all to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here on the first day of July, usually an eventful day in the college calendar, and boy was it today. It's We got a lot to talk about all of a sudden, Eric. We have name, image, and likeness. We've got... Um, we've got our, our Bannerette Awards. It's a, it's a pretty busy show. It'll be quick, but it'll be busy. A busy, lots of fireworks, maybe, or not fireworks, you know, depends on your perspective. <laughs> Don't undersell things here, Eric. We have two segments we have to get through. Um, <laughs> so we're going to start, we're going to start with the Bannerette Awards and later on we'll talk about the name, image, and likeness news. Of course, the NCAA passing its, um, interim uh, policy that allows college athletes now to make a profit off their uh, name, image, or likeness, and also hire an agent in order to negotiate said deals. Um, we are eyeball deep in the Wild West. We're going to talk about that, what we think were the motivations behind it, and some of the UCF athletes who are already um, coming out on social media saying that they have signed deals with certain brands um, or creating or creating their own brands, uh, as the case may be. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, it's long been awaited. We had the nominees last week. And, and by the way, we're a day late because I wanted to get the fans vote. Uh, Some of the votes here. went into overtime. Huh? A couple of votes did go into overtime on this one. This was a close year. But our Black and Gold Banneret Awards for 2021, the results are in. Of course, if you're um, if you remember... Uh, we did the nominees last week. Now, here, here's how we selected the uh, awards. So the voters for the awards are us, the staff of Black and Gold Banneret. We each get one award. And then we did the fans vote. And the fan vote, basically, we counted the fans as one staff member. Okay? And we tallied up who everyone voted for, and that was the winner. If there was a tie... Then among the staff, then whoever won the fan vote, that was the tiebreaker. Okay? So, and there were, as I look at the results, one, two, three, four, five awards where the fan vote broke a tie. All right? So before you go complaining to me about, hey, why did you why did you take the fan vote and then not listen to us? We did listen to you. You decided five of the five of the twenty-two awards we passed out. So, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and um, begin. We started with our Coaches of the Year for Women's and Men's. The Women's Coach of the Year, Eric Lopez, I don't think this was much of a surprise. It was Brian Kanyeko from Women's Tennis, um, who led them to another uh, conference championship deep into the NCAA tournament once again. Um, He has established himself as uh, a real figure in women's tennis uh, with his with his team's performance under his tutelage over the past few years. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, a second straight Sweet 16 run. They got to host the NCAA tournament uh, here as well, winning the conference championship, ranked in the top 10. Uh, no, no surprise that Brian gets the nod. But this was a competitive uh, – that was a p- competitive one. That was a very competitive one. Wasn't it a pretty close vote, too, from the fans? Um, pretty close vote from the fans, indeed. I want to pull – I actually want to go ahead and – pull that up from the fan now remember the fans did not decide uh explicitly um, no no but it was fascinating word, but it was interesting it was interesting i think you're right it was interesting to see how the fans 
voted. Um, now they voted for Coach Abe. Well, and I can understand that argument. The argument there is, you know, she lost KK Wright. There was mm-hmm. big questions how they would do without KK Wright going into the season. Not really a star player. Uh, and so the expectations were not as high as supposedly as tennis. Tennis obviously had the big year in 19 and so forth. Uh, I don't think you could have gone wrong there. Obviously, the staff went with Brian. I think that's the right choice. Sweet 16, that's something they hosted. I don't, I don't that's ever happened before. But I, I understand where the fans are coming from with Coach Abe. Uh, getting the nod there. I mean, this was a strong year. This was a year where you could have made a, if in a normal year, uh, the the four nominees would have been a slam dunk winner. It just so happens they all were in the same year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we talked about this. This was a huge year for women's sports at UCF in 2021. And um, this was a tough one, but she managed to, but, uh, but uh, um, he, Brian was the winner for this. Um, the men's, co- men's team coach of the year, Scott Calabrese, men's soccer, finally breaking through, winning that Amer- elusive American Athletic Conference Tournament Championship, winning the double, um, again, getting to the NCAA Tournament, and just the job he did when that team started 1-3 and three to turn things around. Uh, they win all those matches in a row. They win the conference championship at home. Well-deserved, well-deserved, and he was a uh, runaway winner. The fans also um, voted for him uh, at, with 42%. Yeah, I mean, the one and three star, I still think it's one of the most remarkable jobs considering they were one and three in a shortened season. The season could have gone south. Yannick Earl was hurt. They had some injuries to deal with, and they put on a run to win the regular season title. They win the conference tournament, and they get to the Sweet 16 again. Um, So I agree. I think it's one of the best jobs any UCF coach in any sport has done. Uh, The fans agreed with it, but I want to give this fan some credit. They've a lot of votes too for Greg Lovelady and Johnny Dawkins. You know, we have this perception that people are like, oh, they're, you know, you know, the negativity of social media. But I think the fact that Coach Dawkins and Lovelady got a pretty good combined, you know, good percentage of votes, despite the seasons not being what they were hoping to be, I think shows that I think there's a a portion of the fan base that appreciated the job they did with all the the hurdles they had to deal with, even though from a win loss record, it was not a quote unquote successful year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right about that. And they also gave a lot of, a lot of props to John Roddick. John too. was tremendous too. You could have made a yeah. case for him. Uh, again, hosted. I think what I'm guessing was probably the a bit of the difference there was that Scott got to the Sweet 16, whereas John they they lost in that tough round of 32 against Mississippi yeah. State, which was a bad draw. But I think they, you know, I think a lot of fans, and I understand the logic. I think you go with the coach that took the team deeper if it's if it's you know if it's a flip of a coin. Then we got to a new category, first year uh, assistant coaches of the year, women's and men's. Women's team assistant coach of the year, Tani Bellario, uh, women's basketball. Uh, and this was the closest vote out of all of them. She won 36% of the vote, um, just ahead of Brian Doyne of volleyball and Christina Sanchez Quintanar of, of uh, women's tennis um, with 36%. This one was really tight, but Tani gets the nod because of the job that she did in developing Diamond Battles this year and and really coaching that defense for Coach Abe, um, a defense that statistically was actually one of the best in, in in recent college basketball history. Greatest in UCF history, and I think the fans have rewarded as a result of that, and I think most of our staff has rewarded that. Now, I, I went with Sanchez Quintanar, who's now by the way, the new head coach at Arkansas, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, I can't really argue with Tani. I mean, Tani's obviously, you mentioned she handles the press for that defense, uh, with Coach Abe, 
I think it's regarded as one of the top assistants. And so I can't go wrong. And I thought the voting was fascinating. It was split down three sides there. Brian Jory got a lot of votes too. So I think it shows a lot of fans, you know, and I'm really pleased the fans doing their homework. And I think our staff did the homework there. Uh, I have no issues with it. I think Tawny deserves it. You could have made a case for all three though. Yeah. Uh, Men's assistant coach of the year was close, though not as close. Um, But the nod goes to uh, Daryl Wyatt, the wide receiver coach for football, with 35.5% of the vote of the the fan vote, and he won uh, among us and the staff. It was pretty tight uh, between him and, uh, at least the staff vote, Chris Kanopka, the goalkeeper coach for men's soccer. But Daryl gets the nod because of the year that his wide receivers had last year. And there's a reason why... Um, he was retained on this staff with Gus Malzahn. It's because he knows how to coach wide receivers. And last year, certainly, I think, spoke for itself what he was able to do with that unit. No doubt. I mean, remember, Trey Nixon was hurt. Who would step up? Marlon Williams. You have the young guys. I, I think mm-hmm. people... Jalen yeah, think- Robinson was fantastic. Correct. And I think that was a big plus. And you mentioned, I think, obviously, Gus retaining him, bringing him back, I think, helped the fans. I don't... You know, if he would have not come back, if he would have gone elsewhere, whether it be Tennessee or elsewhere... I do wonder how the vote would have turned out. Not that it should matter, but with fan votes, it could matter a little bit. Mm. I thought it was interesting. Paul Souders and Georgie Rumanoff kind of, and, and Kanupka, I mean, Kanupka and, Sa- and Sauters kind of canceled each other out a little bit, perhaps, uh, there. It was good to see Georgie Rumanoff, the men's tennis assistant, get a lot of support, too, from the fan base there. Yeah. Uh, I think it was tight, but I have no issues with Wyatt. I think Wyatt, you mentioned it. There's a reason he's back on the staff, and people... It shows you that they have confidence in no matter who, the, you know, this year with the wide receivers being as young as it is, people have confidence that it's still going to be productive and in part because of Coach Wyatt. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I, I, I'm really excited for what that unit's going to do next year, too, because I think, you know, based on what we saw, I think he's an outstanding coach. His unit really believes in him. And as talented as a unit as he had last year, he's got an even more talented unit this year, I think. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see. Um, <clears throat> breakout athletes of the year, women's and men's. Um, no surprise on the women's side, uh, Renaya Jones, uh, who was a runaway winner among the fans. And uh, despite a good run from Diamond Battles, it was it was Renaya. I mean, when you finish second in the NCAA in the 100-meter hurdles and you, and you set a new school record and you are and you make it to the Olympic trials, you're going to win up a lot of awards. And like we said, we're going to, we're going to hear her name a lot tonight in this um, in this award uh, reveal show. Um, but congrats to Renaya. Men's Breakout Athlete of the Year. Um, this one was tight too, but it goes to Gabe DeCamps of tennis. Um, the fans uh, voted for Marlon Williams, but it was pretty close between between Marlon at 49% and Gabe at 40 um, But Gabe won the staff vote, and that's what pushed him over the top. Tight vote. I see where the fans come from with, you know, Marlon. He kind of broke out this year finally as the go-to guy. Nobody would, you know, some people may have maybe predicted that, but they weren't sure. Especially, you know, I think a lot of people going into the season thought Trey Nixon would be the guy. Then he got hurt in the Georgia Tech game. So it makes sense, whereas DeCamps was already an All-American the year, you know, the, the, the previous year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can make that argument. However, I think from the staff standpoint, and I'm not speaking for the other staff, but I voted for De, uh, DeCamps. Uh, I think as well, though that way I went back and forth on that. Uh, I think DeCamp's taking it to a different level. Uh, it's one thing to be, hey, a borderline All-American, and, you know, maybe you make it to the NCAA tournament and you bounce out in the first round. Okay. Or you're the conference player of the year. Right. Okay, that's one thing. 
but he was a top 10 player. Heck, was top four, I think, at one point during the season. Ranked as high as third in the singles. Right, number three in the country. Helped the team win a conference championship. Compete, got all the way to the quarterfinals in the singles championship, uh, which no UCF tennis player has ever done before. And I think uh, Gabe brought eyeballs that normally do not follow college tennis at all but people were curious about him. His name was brought up. He became a, a name that kind of transcended tennis. I think casual UCF fans, while they may not know much about tennis, now know who Gabe DeCamps is. And that's a big breakout. And I think that's the, a good definition. So that's, I think, what the staff, and let's be honest, I think what hurt Marlon, again, from the staff, and I'll be curious, I think some. I, I think the fact that Marlon missed the bowl game and missed that last game, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he didn't finish as strong. You know, he was on pace for a long time to perhaps break a lot of the records uh, by wide receivers, yeah. but they kind of slowed down. He was at the end, didn't play a couple games, which was understood. He, he was he on pace right to thing. break those records in a 10-game season, too. Right, right. So I wonder if he would have played it out and maybe broken some of the records if the, if our staff vote would have been more and uh, changed a different way. Uh, but, I mean, again, I think it could have gone either way there, but I, I you know, the camps obviously – breakout is definitely a good word there seniors of the year men's and women's uh on the men's side um this was the first award that was um decided in a tiebreaker by the fans (laughs) and it goes to richie grant who was uh locked in locked in a tight one with yannick ertl from men's soccer but richie grant wins senior of the year um on the other side on the women's side um aliyah white was the unanimous choice uh, for senior year. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, she was the only unanimous. Uh, no, she wasn't the only only unanimous um, uh, among the staff. But um, you know, congrats to Aaliyah White. What a career! What a way to finish up. And and to Richie too, because um, you know both of those both of those amazing people, right? And left a legacy for their sports at UCF that I think uh, uh, is going to last a long time. Obviously, Aaliyah all over the record books. All, all over the record books, like you can speak to Eric, but um, let's not forget Richie, who I think is going to have a marvelous future. I think we're going to we're going to realize, like, wow, it, it, can you believe Richie Grant? You know, was here for for all four years and played the way he did when his NFL career really gets going, as it will this fall. No doubt. Now you mentioned this was I. I was I would not have had an issue if we split the vote between him and Yannick. Because uh, I voted for Yannick, I thought Yannick carrying the men's team, especially in the I conference too. tournament, getting to the champ, winning the championship was significant. However, in defense of Richie, Richie became the first UCF player ever to be a finalist for Jim Thorpe Award. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I, I I could see why the fans voted for him. I could see why others voted for him. This was a hotly debated there. I don't think you could go wrong with either one. I mean, this was a historic year for Richie Grant. It will go down as the greatest season that any defensive back has ever had at UCF. It's a, it's a fact. No, you and that's saying something. Yeah. Considering and, all the DBs we've had here. Over correct. The years. And, and he was a top, I believe he's the, was the top five highest draft pick in UCF uh, history, as far as the NFL drafts concerned. Sure. Uh, but I think people love Richie Grant. Uh, it's unfortunate that the team's success was not there with his success. Uh, but uh man he had a heck of a year i feel for yannick i think we got to acknowledge yannick uh, from that standpoint though because i think he took his game to a different level too a legacy year for him that i think bolstered him now to arguably the second greatest goalkeeper in the history of ucf men's soccer behind 
the Hall of Famer Winston DuBose. I think that's how big this year was for him because prior to the UCF, you know, he's had three NCAA tournament uh, appearances, three-time goalkeeper of the year. But that was Cal Jennings' team, right? He was the mm-hmm. face of the team. This was Yannick's team. This was Yannick's team. This will be remembered as Yannick's team. And certainly the run, and we'll talk about this later as we go through the rest of the awards, his performance in the conference tournament uh, is of, of legend and will be remembered for a long time. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, you're right. And and just a word on Aaliyah White, too, because, you know, I know that you yeah. know, you've, had, you've known her for you've known her for four years. You know the story behind her. You know, she's I, I remember when she was a freshman and I was doing PA, you were doing you were doing play by play. And and I went to you and I'm like, listen, I don't know as much about softball as you, but I know that 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 girl can pitch and she can play and and she's going to be really special. Um, and it bore itself out over four years. And, uh, you know, even though there were some, you know, there were some great moments, there were some rough moments even throughout this year with her, even though she wasn't, you know, they didn't have to put as much on her shoulders this year as they have in the past. Um, still to, this is well-deserved for her because I thought she was just, um, an outstanding leader for that team this year. No doubt holds every pretty much every significant pitching record as far as career is concerned. Big, 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 you know, that's a big position there. You know, when she came in, she was following Mackenzie Otis, Shelby Turnier. She watched them as a recruit. She saw what the what they did for the program. And there's pressure with that. And she had a lot of tough breaks early in her career. They didn't have a lot of support behind her as far as the pitching staff's concerned. And you know, she'll be the first to tell you she had to work for it. You know, I mean, at first, she, you know, her first year, she struggled in the beginning of the year getting through five innings, and she just worked at it. Uh, tremendous person, an amazing UCF story, a premature birth, overcame odds when she was born, literally, and I think overcame a lot of odds, and it was great to see her career end with, a, a you know, an NCAA tournament appearance getting a couple of wins in the turn in the regional, including a shutout against Kennesaw to send him to a regional final. A great way for her legacy. She now goes down alongside McKenzie and Shelby and Allison Kime. To me, those are your fab four, if you will, the four mm-hmm. greatest UCF pitchers of all time. And they will be in the conversation among the greatest UCF players. This was her era. And I was a great way to end it. And a, a great person off the field, happy that it ended on a positive note for her with everything she's overcome in her life off the field. And, and, with uh, obviously being a premature birth and even on the field with the adversity she faced great pitcher and great and like you said a great person freshman of the year this one uh was another one that was very close on the men's side isaiah adams wins the award for freshman of the year again the fans decided it in a tiebreaker it was between him and um alex freeland of baseball <clears throat> but my boy, our boy bryce is gonna be mad <laughs> i know i know but uh, I, but Isaiah Adams, um, boy, you can see just the sheer talent in that young man, and he really developed well as the season went on. I thought as a freshman, um, I thought really well deserving of this award. And, and of all the freshmen that we've seen, um, you know, he is the one that I personally am the most excited about because if he stays here at UCF for two, three years, you know, we could get, you, you, we could be seeing a couple NCAA bids just based on him. If he's a, if he continues to develop, he's really talented. Well, it could be one of the greats of the history of the program, depending on how he developmental there. Uh, Bryson, I got your back. Cause my, I voted for Alex <laughs> Freeland as well. 
uh, oh, I thought was phenomenal. And I think if you look at UCF baseball moving forward, he's the face of this team. Uh, he was one of the bright spots, phenomenal play. Uh, I think you could have made a case for him, but I agree with you. I mean, Isaiah certainly deserves it. I mean, he put up some amazing performances. I think UCF fans have not been excited. This excited about a freshman, maybe since Jermaine? Is that like, is that a bit aggressive? Um, I mean, who, I would who, say, um, who was the last freshman? I mean, I, I know BJ, for, like, I know people were like intrigued by Taco, BJ, uh, BJ, but Taco was a project. BJ and Taco came in, I think that was, that was pretty big. That was pretty big. Taco was more of a project, though. So I think people were skeptical. It was more like, well, yeah, that's kind of cool. He's tall, but we don't know. And then Uh, Marcus Jordan. Well, that was all because of the last name. Uh, Well, still, (laughs) people were excited for Marcus Jordan. But I think with this, this just was like, man, this guy could be an awesome player. Like, this guy could be one of the best players we've ever seen type deal. Uh, And I think, obviously – to me, he's the face, you know, people are going to be probably, I mean, if I polled you, if we polled UCF basketball fans right now for the current roster, he's probably would win the popular vote. Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, quite possibly. Um, on the women's side, uh, no surprise. <laughs> it was it was Renaya Jones. She was the unanimous selection um, by the entire staff and the fans. Um, again, I mean, what can we really say about her? That that hasn't already been said on the show. Oh, we got more to say about her later. I know. Uh, conference champ, silver medals in the NCAA's in the hundred hurdles. But uh, that's what's crazy. She's a freshman. She's just that's a the freshman, thing. Kids. She's just a freshman. She's Part of a, a young, freshman. a young roster, a track and field. And Coach Boone, Dana Boone, is quietly building here. Yeah. I'm telling you, the program, the future's bright here. You're seeing some of the future here. They're ahead of schedule. I think by the time Renaya's career is done, they're going to be a contender for the conference championship as a team competing mm. with Houston. And, of course, you know, they're, they're their program. Uh, and then obviously, but Renaya, as we'll get into later, I think has a chance to be the biggest star that UCF's ever produced in track and field They've, it, 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 sport. New category this year, transfer of the year. We're, we're, we're going to um, get used to this one. Yeah, we're going to uh, we're we're giving into the whole idea of the transfer portal. All right, and uh, this is the nod for it. On the women's side, um, it was unanimous. Alicia Lewis, who came over from Syracuse and was a real star for um, UCF women's basketball, excellent scorer, excellent shooter, and I was really amazed at how quickly she moved into the fold of this team. It's so hard, you know, especially for for anybody to you know come into a program that's already having success and contribute as much as she has. And really, I mean, as, as Alicia Lewis went sometimes, so did UCF women's basketball this year. I remember the day she was cleared by the NCAA to play on literally hours before the opener against Virginia. And she played and had instant chemistry with diamond battles and why Mm. that was significant it gave Coach Abe the opportunity to play Diamond off the ball if she wanted to because right. Lish could run the offense. And Lish was their best three-point shooter. Uh, I thought that was huge. I think it allowed Diamond to be more you know, be more aggressive offensively. It gave them an extra perimeter player. Uh, I think without, without Lush, uh, Alicia Lewis, I don't know if they make the NCAA tournament. I think that was she was that important. Huge transfer port player, I think, will only grow 
from this uh, run coming over from Syracuse. Great shooter. I think you saw a lot of positives, and I think that experience she gained last year playing, I think she'll even be better the next year. Yeah. Speaking of a guy who might be better the next year, uh, our uh, winner on the men's side, Jalen Robinson, Jay Flash, the 5'9 wide receiver who came over from Oklahoma, sat out 2019. Uh, last year, 55 catches, 979 yards, and six touchdowns, and was just a, 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 a true weapon on the other side of Marlon Williams. You know, we talked about how, you know, about how good Marlon was, right, and the amazing breakout season that he had. But Jalen was that change of pace, that that small slot guy who could just found ways to get open and just used his sheer speed in the open field. And uh, boy. <laughs> You got to be excited for what you're going to see from him next year, because uh, you know as he moves up the depth chart, he's going to be a really big key target for Dylan Gabriel, I think. And he's this year's transfer of the year. And he will probably be the pick for a lot of people to have a quote breakout year next year, like you just yeah. said, and be the number one receiver. And I think people were excited what they saw. You're right, made an instant impact that helped them last season, and will certainly should help them this upcoming year. Uh, alumni of the year. Uh, this one is a, is a single award um, that goes to the uh, former UCF student athlete who has made the biggest contribution um, in, uh, in his or her professional uh, sport or post um, <clears throat> or, or post UCF career. And uh, this one was again close. It came down to the fan tiebreaker vote and it was Gabe Davis. Um, who won it uh, with his performance for the Buffalo Bills this year? He was so productive for Buffalo. I, I you know, it, it, I think people forget how you know how I, I think how important he was uh, for uh, for the Bills' offense. Which you know, we, we talked about how good the Bills were this year. I mean, we've talked about that several times, but um, he was a real key to their uh, to their emergence as a power. Uh, and the development of Josh Allen, I think it was it, it was a real boost having him there. Uh, as good as the Bills were all around the ball, you know, Stephon Diggs. We can talk about him and Cole Beasley, but Gabe was third on the team with 599 yards on 35 catches and seven touchdowns. That's an that's a UCF rookie record in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's what won him this award. I voted Chad Matola. So did uh, I. Uh, and the reason I went with Chad, I think you went with Chad. Look, Gabe had a great year, don't get me wrong. But how many times, I mean, we've had wide receivers from UCF that always will produce. We'll have probably more this year. Mm -hmm. How many UCF alums have got to coach in the World Series? One. Uh, so, and Chad helped the Rays get there. Not with not an easy job. I mean, again, not he's not. it's not like he's handed like eight all-stars in the offense. He's got to kind of put it patchwork and go by matchups and do his thing. And I think he's been a big plus for the Rays uh, there and look, they're doing very well again this year. So I would have won with Chad. I understand why Gabe got the vote uh, from the staff and the fan and the fans. Uh, you know, he blossomed, and I know he's going to be a sleeper pick for a lot of fantasy leagues. Shout out Brian Murphy out there. Mm -hmm. uh, he's probably going to be a big popular pick uh, with Buffalo being a big popular pick. Uh, but we'll see how he does. So I, again, I understand the vote. I would have gone Chad Matola. I did go Chad Matola, but certainly right. I mean, football receivers. I have a feeling it wouldn't be surprising to me that we go through this. Although I will say this, Jeffrey, I think next year when we go through this, we're this is going to be an interesting award to discuss next year. Yeah, because we might have some UCF alums 
in the Olympics, if they do well, that didn't necessarily play at UCF, but are alums that could be part of this category next year. No, you're right. You're right. And we do have to take that into account with the Olympics being this year, as opposed to they would have been last year. So, um, and we'll keep a, and we'll keep a, be keeping a close tab on that as we um, move through the summer. Game of the year. We're getting to my favorite awards, which are kind of like the moments of the year, the games of the year, the plays of the year. And um, the winner in this one was uh, for game of the year was the American Athletic Conference men's soccer semifinal between UCF and SMU. A 1-1 draw that UCF won 4-3 in penalty kicks at home, finally getting the monkey off their back against SMU um, after three straight years of losing to them in the conference title game. They get them in the semifinals this time and get the victory uh, in back of Yannick Erdl's just amazing performance. Nine saves. Um, he Standing on his head does not begin to describe what, the type of acrobatics that Yannick Erdl was doing in this game. And to finally break through, I mean, UCF had lost to SMU the previous time that they played them in the conference championship in penalty kicks um, on that very field. And to finally, after all these years, break through at home, beat them um, in the incredibly dramatic fashion that it was. It was just a a glorious game to watch. Just an an incredibly amazing, intense, fast-paced men's soccer game. And UCF came out on top. That was the game of the year. Now, the fans voted, uh, let's see, what did they vote? Florida-UCF voted for the Florida-UCF softball now, game, which we'll now, get to in a second. Yes. Now, the soccer game, I didn't vote for it. I, I It's always going to be remembered as Yannick Ertigo. But no, here's my, here's my issue with it. It ended on penalty kicks. I hate penalty kicks. I don't like games being ended on penalty kicks. It's a gimmick. I hate trip. I hate the, the short field overtimes in college football, and I hate penalty kicks in soccer. That's why I didn't vote for it. But obviously, it's a memorable. Don't hate game. the player, hate the game. Right. Well, all right, Booker <laughs> T. Um, so, uh, other consideration: Florida State, UCF men's basketball. I do want to mention that uh, because that I think if UCF had a better season, I think they would have gotten more votes and maybe more consideration. I think we've taken that win for granted because the season didn't go as as, as well as we thought. But man. I remember watching that game on the ace. I mean, it's a great perfect, game. Unbelievable game. One High of the scoring best. game, exciting, back and forth. It was fun. It was a fun game to watch. Amazing game. Anybody that knows our friend Brian Murphy, he doesn't just get excited over one result. He is Mr. Hey, it's just, I'm not going to get go crazy over one result. Watch back our night shift uh, episode after that game. I've never seen him so excited. We both were excited. We were crazy. <laughs> we made a lot of, probably in retrospect, a lot of ridiculous statements there that did not pan out. But that's okay. Because it was that exciting of a game. Brandon Mahan was unbelievable. Yeah, Isaiah, Adams, Isaiah Adams, we talked about him winning freshman of the year. That was kind of the really the game where you're like, whoa. And yeah. so that's a, I just wanted to mention that because that's a memorable game that I don't think you, anybody should forget. I mean, that's a really good Florida State team, a Sweet 16 team. They ended their long win streak at the Tucker Center. Nobody just goes in there and wins at the Tucker Center against Leonard Hamilton and Florida State, who's going to have another lottery pick on that team in Scotty Barnes. So I want to mention that game. Uh, and I know they got some votes too as well. Yeah. Um, I still go with the men's soccer because of all the significance you know, and the and the removal of the monkey off the back. I'm penalty not sure if that's no the, the funny kicks. thing is that's not even their. I, I, I and I will ask Coach Caliber. I mean, the drama, probably, the drama of that night. 
I'm and I was even, there that night too. You, were, you did call different. it. You did call PA. Uh, and, and it was, I mean, it was, it was to me, this is going to sound incredible, but the intensity and the drama of that night for me, it was, it was like a world cup knockout stage game with just fewer people. Well, they have the history. It's the premier rivalry yeah. in men's soccer. And, and I would assume with, because I think they're going to keep the same schedule home and home. It's only going to grow because these teams are going to play twice a year at a minimum. And who knows? It could be three times again. It could like be four was, times. Right. 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 Uh, yeah, it's true. So, no, I get it. I Believe me, I, I, I get it. I just hate penalty kicks. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. <laughs> uh, pl- uh, <laughs> play of the year. Um, this one was a tough one because, you know, it, it's not like there were a lot of, like, really s- huge standout plays every year. But... You know, we found a few, but uh, an unusual one for a play, but it is still a play. And this was the moment that we realized that Renia Jones was special. When she ran that 12.73 at the UCF Invitational Invite, or UCF Invitational, um, early in the track and f- in the outdoor track and field season, breaking the school record by almost a tenth of a second, um, and running a time that qualified her for the Olympic trials. It was an Olympic qualifying time. She she not only set the school record, she had the freshman record already. She not only set the new school record and won the event, it got her into the Olympic trials. Um, 12.73 seconds of history right there. Renia Jones, her third award of the night. Third, you're right. That was the moment where everybody kind of stopped for a minute. And they're like, wait a minute, right? Like, wait a minute. Yeah. Who's this again? Whoa. Um, and what was, just that was that was a classic what just happened moment correct I mean that was all over social media it was cool UCF just came out with their all-season sports video and that was included in the package mm-hmm. yeah I think you're right that was the hello this is Renaya Jones moment there that's when people start notice because it's like wait a minute Olympic trials she could make the Olympics really <laughs> um that was a, a, a the, the draw you know stop moment right there and I think that's a run that uh that people that saw it will never forget even if they were in a, in person uh and i think people that watched it on social media and i and i think jeffrey going into next year and beyond track and field might get more people to go out there than they normally would you've covered track and field so you might be can, you can explain this better i think there's casual people that are going to be interested in seeing her in person don't you I think so. I would like to see it, and I would like to see some of her other competitors too. You know, we had two two student athletes in the Olympic trials this yep. year. Uh, in the United States Olympic trials, we had four overall for their various different countries, Canada and Great Britain included. Um, this program is really growing by leaps and bounds, and and we got to hear about more about track and field, um, more amongst the fans. I think that going to track meets is a lot of fun. I think what's really cool about about you know about seeing a track meet here at UCF too is like is you get to see a lot of you know a lot of people who you will see in the Olympics you know running as unattached runners sometimes with certain events um and if and and if UCF hosts um the track field championships I don't think they are this this coming year I'm not 100% sure but um you know I remember one time we were hosting Houston was there I met Leroy Burrell um you know, there were a couple of other um, uh, Olympic competitors who were running um, at another meet that was there. And I was like, this is this is amazing. You can just like walk right up to them and, and see them and be like, hey, you're an Olympian. You know, it was um, it, it, it's truly an amazing. Uh, it's one of the most fun kind of sporting events you can attend. 
um, because there's always something going on, and and you and you you rub elbows with a lot of really cool people. So uh, I hope we do see a lot more fans at UCF Track and Field next year. Um, moment of the year, Eric. We talked about the UCF softball win over UF, and the uh, <clears throat> fans agreed with you. They uh, provided the winning margin over the over men's soccer winning the American championship overall and pulling the double UCF's uh, eight to six victory against the Florida uh, against the number five ranked Florida Gators uh, top 25 matchup at the complex you call play-by-play for this game it was two hours and 40 minutes of sheer of great college softball um, back and forth a lot of runs scored and of course um, you cap it off with that amazing um, walk-off two-run homer by uh, Carissa Ornelas um, that that won the game to the opposite field. Again, you talked about the highlight video that UCF just posted. That was one of the key moments of it. Um, what an amazing game! I mean, to relive that is is phenomenal. And that um, and that that home run by Carissa Ornelas is our winner for the moment of the year. I felt like it was funny. Like, obviously, I called the game. But, like, it felt like the, the, the UCF universe stopped. Right? Like, and I, like I told the whole college, it felt like the whole college softball world stopped for it a did. second. Well, and this and is there, the, were, there yes. were people coming to me. Like, I, the next day I went to – here's a quick story. I'm so sorry. But yeah, yeah. Um, the next day I took my, uh, my son to Little League practice – and a couple of the other, a couple of his coaches also coach youth softball. Like they coach their their older daughters in youth softball, and they all came to me. They were like, "Did you watch that UCF UF game last night? That was incredible." Yeah, I, you were not alone. My phone, I've never had my phone so full of text messages after a broadcast like that one from different people across. You know, like UCF people that normally don't care about softball, right? Like, but it, it, you know, I think it tells you a few things. First of all, I've said, I just told somebody recently to me, for me, I've done this now 14 going on 15 years. Uh, that's the best softball game I've ever seen in person. I compare it to similar to the UCF USF football game in 2017, in that it's a game that I could watch a thousand times and not get bored by it. I think the game was just so many plot twists back and forth turn but that's that's beside the point obviously from a moment standpoint it was the espn plus factor i gotta give was huge in this Mm -hmm. because i feel like everybody you see you see i think with sports like softball i think you have three different sort of fan bases you have the diehard fan that tunes in every game no matter who they're playing etc then you have the fan that sort of is a fan but can't catch every game maybe he's going to catch the marquee games only then you have the UCF fan that's not necessarily a softball fan probably would not care about softball but they're playing Florida I'm going to tune right. in because this is a big deal they're, so, a UC, they're a UC right I think you put it right they're a UCF fan not necessarily a softball fan right and but they're watching because they're a UCF fan they're supporting and that was the game at, at that night I remember it was a right. it was the Wednesday night it was that, and then the UCF baseball game was going on at Florida State, which was a, one of the most bizarre endings. If we did an, an award for the most bizarre ending ever, that, that was wild. One, uh, but I, if I remember this, and I and I only remember this because after I was done, I looked, my social media was blew up, and I remember because Brian was following the baseball that had ended the way it did, and then he flipped over to softball, and everybody's like catching the softball, and there's these people that I didn't realize like 
talking softball the next day. People, man, I can't believe I saw that. That was unbelievable. And the you know, that was the night where the game, the fifty percent capacity was raised to fifty percent. And you know, UCF was down six to five. Cody hits a t- double to tie the game up. And I got to give credit to Francesca Ne, who's my broadcast partner. It was phenomenal. Obviously, a Gator player, but she's a phenomenal analyst, and she can kind of foreshadow this. And when Carissa hit the two-run homer, that place exploded. Uh, and there was a lot of football players there. And really, that was significant. You know, up until that point, what was it, Jeff? 25% at the time for a lot of the UCF sporting yeah, events? 25%. We really hadn't had that environment of excitement. That was the first UCF sporting event, uh, at least in the spring, that had that wild you know, uh, atmosphere. And, uh, and I remember she hits the home run. The place goes crazy. And I was smartest thing I did. I did my call. And then I kind of, you know, so, you know, great night to be a night that she walks into home plate. She gets surrounded by the fans. That place was building. It's something I'll never forget. It's an amazing game, an amazing moment. And I think a lot of people, I think they gained a lot of softball fans because of that. And people watched it and people still ask me about that game. It's definitely my best broadcast, my favorite broadcast. Francesco is a big part of that. The ESPN plus crew was a big part of that. I think they deserve credit for that because that, that made it a bigger deal. To your point, because that the whole nation was watching that game. It wasn't just, hey, a couple of people in Orlando and Gaysville. The whole country was watching and took notice. Yeah, no doubt. I thought that it was – I was watching it on ESPN+. Plus. I was listening to you. Um, it, I, I do feel as though that ushered in – that officially ushered in a new era of how we're going to follow UCF sports. Yes, you know, it, it it validated ESPN Plus as a platform where UCF fans can watch their team um, and see great moments and great and and great moments that are that were um, that brought out. It's the easier for them to follow these produced. sports, right? Yeah, it's easier a lot to easier. follow so, these sports. They in, don't... in that respect, it kind of transcended even even just even beating the number five team in the country. Yes. So yes, uh, no that's question. our moment of the year. That's our moment Amazing. of the year. So much riding on it. Story of the year. Uh, this is a new. Um, this is a new award. Nearly unanimous, not quite unanimous, but nearly unanimous. Um, our story of the year. This is kind of a little journalismy. I get it, but um, the departure of. I, th- I think it's pretty obvious. The departure of Danny White and subsequently Josh Heupel, and the also subsequent hiring of uh, Terry Mahajer and uh, Gus Malzahn to uh, take over for them. And this story is going to reverberate for years at UCF. Um, it's still reverberating now because, um, as uh, as Drew Glukov had pointed out this year, uh, or, or had alerted us to a story from the Orlando Sentinel that came out this week, that UCF actually finished the academic year in the black. We thought that they would lose, uh, you know, several million, a couple million dollars in terms of um, you know, because of COVID and not being able to have fans in the stands quite as much and whatnot. But the budget cuts at UCF, uh, even despite all that, um, UCF still managed to uh, to not lose money as an athletic department, um, due in part, in no small part, to the buyouts from Danny White and Josh Heupel, pushing them over the top. So it's it's going to reverberate, I think. On it certainly reverberates off the field, right? I think it's going to reverberate on the field for years after this. You could argue, 
this past spring is the most memorable spring in UCF athletics history, not just necessarily because of on-field success, which there was a lot of it, but because there was so much sports of it. And you add to the fact you have the greatest athletic director in UCF athletics history. I think that goes without, right? That's got to be unanimous. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Uh, and Danny you White, could and make some arguments, but you could make some arguments, but Danny White gets my vote. Yeah, he gets my vote. Uh, he didn't create the playoff like some think, but he did help UCF uh, take it to a different level. That when he, when, remember that? I mean, I, I remember we were in shock, right? Because it really came out of nowhere. Like, oh, by the way, he's going to be the AD of Tennessee and he's about to be announced like, oh, in five minutes. Let's, what? <laughs> what happened Came out here? of nowhere. Right, it really did. And I think people were caught off guard. It, and I, I think people just didn't take it. I think they were thinking maybe Duke or something else. And so that caught him off guard. And so now we're going to figure out, well, who's going to be the next AD? And that was so much dramatic. But then he's got to figure out a football coach. And I'll never forget the night that the Tennessee people reported that Josh Heupel was the guy. And I think all UCF people like scoffed at it. Oh, that's such a typical Danny move. That's just, you know, that's a smoke screen and this or that. And then the next morning he's like, oh, no, wait, it is Josh Heupel. I, I, think, I think we were all like, come on. That, that's just... That's just speculation from a bunch of writers because right. it's the obvious thing. You know, Danny White has, you know, was Josh Heupel's boss. It's just, the, it's just the obvious. Oh, Tennessee is interested in Josh Heupel. I'm like, well, of course they would. You know, they're just throwing that out there to see, to see what the Tennessee, you know, people would think. Lo and behold, the next day he was gone. The funny thing, though, the reaction was actually calm. It was almost like, oh, okay, like all right. Cool. So now we have a new AD and coach. It was almost like relief. It was kind of like, hey, he's not here because obviously he had some detractors. Uh, but then the AD search and then Terry gets hired, which nobody saw coming. Okay. Nobody nobody mentioned his name until he literally was named. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so great job by UCF Heidi uh, keeping that down low. And then the football search was fascinating. We heard different names. I'll pat ourselves on the back, uh, me and Drew. We constantly, every time we wrote, an article about who would be the next UCF football coach at the top of the list was Gus Malzahn. And there were some critics about it. They didn't think it would happen, despite the fact he had a tie with Terry Mahajer. Initially, and, a lot a lot of people when when it when it was announced that he was getting close to being the coach were not it were not fancy. not excited. Correct. Uh, a lot of hype for Jeff Lebby, who a lot of some people that, that was the big clamoring point. There was a lot of players were Camping, camping for him and uh, uh, camping, you know, making promoting him and stuff like that. But then, jo you know, but then Gus did this, did his uh, press conference and won a lot of people over. And I think he's won a lot of people over since then yeah. by a lot, by not, I mean, look, he's killing it and recruiting, but he's been, he's, you know what it's been, I mean, it's a crazy concept. The football coach is actually around. Like people could see him. Yeah, he's a good ambassador. Ah, bingo. And and he's really embraced it a hundred percent. He's done great stuff on social media, and I think people. I really I know this is a controversial topic, a uh, subject. I think go, that Gus right now is the most likable UCF coach they've ever had going into a season. Now he's got to win, and then they'll you know. But I, I think this is the first UCF head coach where I think the whole fan base is rooting for the guy to win. Yeah. And being successful. I think others in the past, there was always some questions, some friction, like, oh, I don't know, is Scott Frost really? That's he has no personality, what blah blah. George, we're not gonna get into that, but we all know that was a divided uh, deal there. Uh 
And Josh was kind of divided when he got here. That's not the case here with Gus. It's been pretty remarkable to see, honestly. Yeah. Um, again, that's we're gonna. This is gonna echo for years. And BC really people think. are gonna be following Tennessee, how Josh does to a little bit to extent, and and it's gonna be interesting how Danny handles the Tennessee media. I've talked to some of the Tennessee media, and I can tell you this: not the biggest fans of him right now. Uh, because he's not available. As you know, remember, he's not one that's just going to do pressers every week. And yeah. I'm, in, you know, I'm very interested to see how Danny handles the SEC maybe, environment. Maybe, maybe that's the right way to handle the Tennessee media. Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, he may be onto something there, um, but they're not going to like it. Right. And we'll see how he handles the SEC vibe. Remember, he was mad that the hypo thing leaked. Yeah. He was, yes. and came out publicly about it. Yes. Too. So yes. So that's our story of the year. Uh, individual, one more, and then we're going to get to the big time awards. Um, individual performance of the year. Again, it's Renia Jones. And in this case, it's her finishing second place in the NCAAs in the 100-meter um, hurdles. Uh, she Okay, so she comes up short of winning a national championship by a couple tenths of a second. But still, her performance that week in the NCAAs to get to that point, um, and really, I thought ran well, you know, and and surprised some people. You know, she's competing against seniors who are well seasoned and Olympic and Olympic hopefuls, like bona fide Olympic hopefuls, um, and and came out of there with the silver medal in the NCAAs. Um, just it caps off an, an an amazing year of of for her and bringing home that kind of hardware, man. That is nothing to sneeze at. So congrats again to Renaya. That's her fourth award of the night. Well deserved. Uh, got UCF fans to watch track and field in June and into the trials. That's pretty good. Not an not, easy task. <laughs> no, not all, I mean, as, and we've had many great track and field athletes, Octavius Freeman and Jackie Coward, and, yeah. but Renaya moved the needle. Uh, right time, right place. Uh, she definitely did it. And that NCAA performance, people are into it. And it was like, well, she almost pulled it off too. She almost won that. Um, pretty amazing run. I, I, I'll make a bold prediction here. She's going to win an NCAA title by the time she's done here at UCF. I have no doubt about that. No it's, doubt. She's got to stay healthy, but I don't disagree. I'm not going to disagree with it. Yeah. Assuming she stays healthy and assuming she, she also stay, if she doesn't turn pro early, she's going to win a national title. I'm convinced of it. Um, all right, so now we get to the big awards. Male and female athlete of the year and the men's and women's teams of the year. So we'll start with the athletes of the year. Uh, on the men's side, Gabe DeCamps, uh, who, believe it or not, was almost unanimous, even, even among the fans. Um, there was only one other uh, vote for somebody else. Come on, Gabe- Murph, what are you doing? <laughs> But but Gabe DeCamps, Just kidding, uh, like I'm we just said kidding. earlier, uh, when he won the award for Men's Breakout Athlete of the Year, top three at one point in the country, uh, quarterfinalist in the NCAAs at home, uh, a leader for the team, um, and a true joy to watch. He was so rock steady in singles and doubles um, and, and was the heartbeat of that team throughout the whole year. He's going to go down as the greatest tennis player ever. And he's still got a year left. Still got a year uh, left, yeah. But he's already, to me, cemented he's the greatest tennis player ever. And he deserves this. 
Uh, he was, I think, part of this year. When we look back at 2020, 21 in particular, UCF, it's going to be about the tennis programs. And Gabe DeCamps is a big part of that. And what he did, top eight in the country, top 10. I mean, what he did is unbelievable. He's worthy. Probably the first ever UCF tennis player to be an athlete of the year in any, in both male or female. And he deserves it. I don't think there's any question. And on the women's side, of course, Runaya Jones. Uh, her fifth award uh, this of the year. Um, capture, she is, compl- I, you know what? I mean, we could wax poetic about her all night, right? But I, I love how she has captured the hearts of UCF fans across the sports spectrum with her performance this, this spring and this summer. And... Um, Man, I can't wait to see what she what she does when she gets back on the track next spring too. Maybe the greatest freshman year any UCF athletes ever had. Yeah, think, think about it. I mean, how many freshmen could say they did what she did for her sport? I mean, she's the face of it, uh, coming within whiskers of winning the national title, in the mix to try to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, her personality is fantastic; has a great smile. She gets it. Trust me. Good things are ahead for her. Great follow on Twitter, by the way, Renaya Jones. Great follow and uh, well-deserved of the female athlete of the year. Did you see that one thing she tweeted at somebody? She, like, clapped right back at somebody who was saying the track doesn't – She stole my heart. I love that. (laughs) She absolutely stole my heart. Renaya Jones, keep doing what you're doing. You're the best. We love you. Um, And now, finally, men's and women's team of the year. Men's team of the year. This one was close, Eric. There were it was only between men's tennis and men's soccer. Those were the only nominees, and the fans gave the nod um, with the uh, with the tie break, and they gave it to men's tennis. Wow. Um, you know, breaking through, winning that conference championship, that elusive conference championship. Um, even though the season, I think, didn't end the way that they wanted it to in the NCAA's, you still got to be impressed with. A twenty-two and four record, undefeated in conference, um, and the way that they just steamrolled people down the stretch—it was an absolute. They, they were a lot of fun to watch, and they really have captured the imagination, I think, of UCF fans. Um, this is a this is this is a real program now that stands on the precipice of national prominent uh, national prominence. I think they're in fact, I think they're already there. Um, now it's just a question of, do they get a better draw in the NCAA tournament next year? Yeah, hopefully they will get a better draw. (laughs) But I I get the the fans voting. I think I'm with it. Look, they they won their first ever NCAA tournament match ever in the first round. The men's tip program has never won an NCAA tournament match prior to this year, hosting for the first time. They win the conference championship against their rivals, South Florida. I think prior to this year, the last time men's tennis won a Swept them. The last time they won a conference title was probably in the A-Sun days. So... I think they accomplished a lot. And I think in the end of the day, the 2021 UCF year is the year of tennis for what men's and women uh, accomplished on the field. And I think that shows here in the voting, Jeff. Yeah, because guess who won the women's team of the year? Women's tennis. Uh, They finished 20 and five on the year and were, you know, whereas this year was a year for men's tennis to get over the hump and kind of, you know, knock down some demons for women's tennis this year. They were just, they were just ready to steamroll people. And, you know, even though they lost their first two matches in that ITA kickoff, we can remember they lost to NC state and wake forest back to back in North Carolina. 
and then they come back and they beat Florida four to three, and then all, they were just off and running. Um, got all the way, won the uh, American Championships. By the way, they had to play three matches in the American Championship instead of two, which the men had to do because the men had to buy, right? So they blast through the American Championships, beat Tulsa in the final, beat Charleston Southern and Miami <clears throat> in the NCAAs, and then they're right there with Duke, right there with number 18 Duke in the Sweet 16 um, with one match to go. Um, you remember it was the breaking back and forth in that in that last singles match, and Duke ekes it out mm. in as close a finish as you're going to find. Um, just a heartbreaking way to finish it, but um, wow, what a what a year for women's tennis! And I got news for you, man. I think they're going to be even better next year. They'll have a good nucleus coming back. They do lose Stomar, their senior. But uh, they should be right back in the mix. They were, and they'll be hungry after being so close to yeah. getting to that quarterfinal at home. Don't want this thing. But this was the talk year about a tennis. confident team next year. They have a lot of confidence. Yeah, I agree. But this was the year of tennis. This was the year of tennis. What they accomplished a first. Both teams hosting. Both teams national seeds. Both teams winning in the tournament. Both teams having single players in the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's just pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable story. Also, quick salute. You see a volleyball going three straight yep. championships. Uh, and then, you know, even, you know, you see a women's basketball making the tournament. Uh, softball. The fans voted for softball. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you all there. Um, it was tight, though. It was 38.7%. Well, uh, yeah, Tennis uh, was at 32. Volleyball was at 24. It was a tight vote. Sure. I mean, softball obviously has a popular deal there. Uh, I, I think, obviously, if they would have won the conference or won the regional, boy, that might have flipped it. Uh, I think if volleyball goes deeper in the tournament, that could have flipped it. Uh, I think that's – you know, we'll get into that in a future episode about maybe some of the big questions going into the new the next season mm -hmm. I, for each of these sports will be very fascinating. But very tight. Different – the year of women's sports at UCF. Maybe yeah. the greatest women's sports year, which is ironic because – Two of their, you know, dominant programs they consistently have in the tournament, usually and traditionally, rowing and women's soccer, didn't have their greatest of years. Think about that, how crazy that is. That yeah. was the only two sports from a women's side that did not have some sort of representation in the NCAA tournament. And if the men would have had a better year, this could have been the best year overall. I know you did the stats, and it's on your Twitter there. This was, what, the fourth best winning percentage year since uh, overall? Since softball was instated as a sport at UCF, and we have the full complement of sports, if you add up the team sports, um, this was the fourth highest total win percentage across all UCF team sports since 2001-2002. That's unbelievable. Uh, and then you have, you especially when you consider what all these teams had to go through over the past, had to go months. through it and you win conference championships and volleyball, women's tennis, uh, men's tennis. You I mean, softball was within a game away. Uh, women's basketball was in the championship game as well. They made all of them made the tournament men's tennis. I mean, winning the title. I mean, men's soccer, winning the championship baseball, yep. even baseball, a run away from winning a championship and making the first conference tournament they a, final. They had the they had the tying yeah. run 180 feet away. I think it's the most memorable spring ever in UCF athletics for various reasons. All the sports going on at once, uh, which will probably never happen again. And I'm sure there's many people working over there. They're glad that they hope that's the case. 
but also because of the stories off the field with obviously the AD and the head coach and the football thing. It, it was a crazy spring. I don't know if somebody is smart out there, but somebody should do a Netflix like documentary about the spring that was. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, absolutely wild. Congratulations to all the winners. Um, well, there's congrats to all the nominees. Yeah. Um, you know, and our thanks also to the fans who voted and thanks, of course, to all the staff who voted as well um, and made this uh, uh, a fun experience. You know, I think I think I, I think the awards came out exactly what I how I was, you know, we thought they should. Um, tough year, tough year. A lot of was, competition. Tough. A lot of competition. You're right. You're absolutely right. So. Um, and congrats, especially to Renaya Jones, who I believe I'll have to go back in the archives and look at this. But I believe she is she has set a new black and gold banneret record for most postseason awards in one year with five. <laughs> That's pretty so, amazing. Amazing. So, all right, that'll do it for the black and gold banneret awards. Uh, stick around. When we come back. We're gonna wrap the show, but we're gonna talk about. An important topic that dropped today, well, actually it dropped yesterday, but um, but it started today. Of course, the name, image, likeness policy uh, under NCAA rules um, and a whole new era for um, student-athletes across the nation, not just at UCF, um, in being able to make money independently of their uh, scout, uh, uh, of their, uh, of the, of what they get from um from their, gosh, I screwed this tease up, didn't I? <laughs> uh, being able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. All right, uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Um, before we go, I wanted to talk about, it's July the 1st, Thursday, July the 1st, that we're recording this. And it's a big day in college sports because uh, the NCAA, belatedly, but nonetheless, um, have enacted uh, what they're calling interim uh, or, or interim policy suspending NCAA name, image, and likeness rules for all incoming and current student athletes in all sports. Um, so, as as of right now, as of midnight on July first, NCAA college athletes will have the opportunity to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. Um, the policy, now this is an interim policy. They're going to discuss this more and actually formulate a, a full policy later, but it's probably going to look obviously pretty similar to this. Um, but we're right now, we're kind of in this wild west phase. Here's some of the, um, the, the, the policy provides, this is according to the NCAA. The policy provides the following guidance to college athletes, recruits, and their families and member schools. Number one, individuals can engage in name, image, likeness activities that are consistent with the law of the state in which the school is located. Colleges and universities may be a resource for state law questions. All right, cool. Number two, college athletes who attend a school in a state without a name, image, likeness law can engage in this type of activity without violating NCAA rules related to name, image, and likeness. Now, that's not the case here in Florida because we passed a law that took effect on January uh, on July 1st. Uh, individuals can use a professional services provider for NIL activities, i.e. an agent. And number four, student athletes should report NIL activities consistent with state law or school and conference requirements to their school. Um, a couple of important things to um, remember. Um, it, it, uh, it, obviously, there's a commitment to avoid pay-for-play and improper inducements tied to choosing, an, a, 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 choosing to attend a particular school. 
uh, schools themselves cannot actually perform the promotion of um, the uh, student athletes, um, you know, personal brands in terms of the name, image, and likeness. Um, <clears throat> if you um, another thing is like uh, is the I kind of call it the media guide rule. So, for example, if you appear on the media guide, um, you know, a school publication, um, you know, you can't charge the school that you're getting a scholarship from uh, for that. But you, but you can do things, and actually, we're seeing a lot of things, a lot of student athletes who are um, trying to be as, um, uh, who are trying to be as creative as possible, I'm trying to take advantage of different things, just. It feels like this is a real feeling out period, doesn't it, Eric? Because we'll go over these in, in a little bit, but you know, we really are in sort of a wild west phase yeah. of trying to figure out how this is going to work. Yeah, I think they're still figuring this out on the fly. Uh, they're kind of tipping their toes in the water. Uh, that being said, uh, breaking news: the sun will come out tomorrow. Football game is not dead. <laughs> players will still play and things will be watched. I've been pretty amused by and annoyed by a lot of the college media both ways. There's half they're like doom and gloom. This is unbelievable. The Wild West. This is going to be out of control. This guy just got a sock deal. Oh my God. And then there's the others that think it's the greatest day in the history. Like, oh, they're going to be millionaires. Like, like, like settle down, settle down. Um, the big As thing, usual, the truth is probably going to end up somewhere in the yeah, middle of the extremes. Look, these athletes aren't dumb. Um, I think people have had been naive all this time thinking that, oh, the poor athlete, you know, he's he's not making a buck. You trust me, they're making bucks. But now they don't have to hide it anymore. They don't have to, you know, now you could be more creative. You could actually create opportunities uh, to make more uh, opportunities, to make more money. And I think the big benefactors of this, to be honest with you, are the Olympic sports uh, because, for example, and I think you can speak to this, volleyball, uh, softball, there's no pro leagues. There's no million-dollar contracts awaiting them in the pros. Right. So if you're McKenna Melville, for example, with all, I know they have athletes unlimited in volleyball, and obviously there's the international aspect of it from the you know playing there, but there's no pro league for McKenna. Like, this is as high as it gets for her, so she should make unless, some. Unless he goes overseas, and some UCF players okay. have gone overseas. Touche, touche. But the point is, if she doesn't want to do that, you know, she should be making she should be making a comp, some compensation for her performance. She's a great player. Uh, you could say that for softball players too. There's been plenty, and I think what you're going to see now is a lot of these athletes are going to do lessons. Like softball, mm-hmm. softball cleans up on lessons. If you're a pitcher, everybody's always looking for lessons. Camps, camps. Uh, this is, I mean, look, a lot of these players and athletes participate in camps already. The difference now is. They can be promoted that they're working these camps. And so they're going to make compensation that way. I think there's easy ways. Plus, a lot of the Olympic sports are very good at social media because a lot of the diehard fans follow it on social media. So, yes, that's where you're going to make a lot of income to is via social media because that's the consumers, really. Uh, Whereas I think think football is going to have a hard time because I think what's going to happen with football – is you're going to have a couple of guys, a, ha- a handful of guys on certain teams make money, and then the others are not. And that's going to create some awkwardness. And I think what's going to happen is this kind of moves forward. I think some difficult decisions will be made. They're like, is it worth spending money on a left tackle or a white receiver 
wide receiver or defensive back? Or do we just go with the quarterback? And what if there's a quarterback competition? And what if that quarterback struggles? Uh, So I think football is going to be a little bit up and down. I think there's going to be some people that are going to be successful. There's going to be some that are not in business and just in, in, and just in kind of prospering from this. That's kind of life though. So basketball is the more interesting as well, because I do think this will help some of the athletes that might've just considered skipping college or going to the G league to stay for an extra year or two, because they will make some income with playing basketball because of their likeness. I think basketball will actually, in my opinion, make more money than football players. Why? Because I can see their face. (laughs) I can't see a football player's face mask. You know what I mean? You're right. I'm so glad you made this point. I really think that the trend – obviously, when a big change like this happens, there's a lot of factors that play into it. It's never just one thing, right? There's a lot of of things that sort of come together to result in a change like this. But I think one of those things that cannot be understated is the fact that we were starting to see – the NBA G League was going to change its policy to allow um, freshmen to come uh, to come in, and, or people who would be freshmen to come in and play, and that was that was about to usurp talent from college basketball. And I think the powers that be in college basketball, remember, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, the TV contract from that alone with Turner and CBS, pays for all of the other tournaments and the other championships to be held by the NCAA, okay? So they've got to keep that men's basketball tournament making money. And we've started to see some erosion, right, Eric? Yes, You absolutely. see it in the TV ratings. Yes. Where And the reason why is because there is an eroding amount of star power in college basketball. It's not like it was when we were growing up where we knew who like the first 10 or 15 players would be uh, would be drafted because they were all seniors or maybe juniors, occasionally sophomores, right? Yes. We knew who the good players were. Now, I mean, look at the NBA draft this year. Like, I'm not sure who, who a lot of these guys are. No, a lot and of I people watch don't. March Madness. And so yeah. I think that what happened is, and I just want to finish this point real quick. Yeah. I think what happened was the, the powers that be in the NCAA realized like, like we have to keep this cash cow alive in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Sure. So if we pass this name, image, and likeness thing, that'll probably keep some guys who, you know, who might have chosen to go to the G League or maybe even gone overseas. Like, remember Brandon Jennings did that? He played in Italy. Yeah. Um, that's going to keep them in college basketball because it'll enable, it'll enable them to stay financially afloat. And then maybe they'll stay in college a little longer, develop their game, and then and then – that will filter its way up to high-level college basketball and we'll start to see um, more recognized long-term talent in the NCAA tournament pool. Right, especially if you're not in the lottery. I think if you're in the lottery, you're going regardless because you're still going to make more money in the NBA as a lottery pick. However, if you're a borderline first-round guy, if you're a second-round guy, if you're not going to get drafted, instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to go because I want to make money, well, now you can make money and still stay in school. And I do think that's a good thing. We keep forgetting. I still think a degree does matter here uh, because there, it, it, a lot of these athletes, there is life after playing. And I, I think we have 99.9% of it. They all, for, for 99.99999% of them, they all get that. They're like, yeah, you know, I got to get my degree because I know that A, there are either no professional prospects for me or B, the professional prospects for me are extremely limited. 
Agree. So I, I think basketball players will benefit from this. I think it'll actually help them market themselves, which will help the product actually, because then you'll be recognizable. And I think that the NBA needs to root for that because I think one of the issues the NBA has is the draft. If you've noticed, the draft is dropped in ratings. The lottery number nights have dropped yeah. because people nobody like, knows who the players are. Right. There's not that like, whoa, I got to go see, you know, you know, Anthony Davis is in the lottery or Patrick Ewing. Yeah. 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 Like I, I remember, I remember clear as the day when the Orlando Magic won the draft lottery for Shaquille O'Neal and Shaq was there and it was like, this is the next guy, Shaquille O'Neal, LSU. Right. Yes. And, and Pat Williams was like, basically on lottery night was like, yeah, we're drafting Shaquille O'Neal. You know, it it was right. Everyone knew Shaq. Everyone knew what he was going to be this year. I have no idea who the number one pick is going to be. I don't think anybody else does either. At least there's no, because they're drafting more on potential rather than production because they haven't had a lot of production. Gay, you know, I mean, Gay Cunningham is probably is, is kind of the front runner to be the number one pick. But to your point, he's not a quote franchise guy. He yeah. might be, he could be an all-star, but he's not a finished product. That's why tanking doesn't work anymore in the NBA because you're not getting that franchise player that's ready to go and can turn your franchise around in day one. You're going to take it. It's going to buy some time. Um, let me just kind of uh, uh, quiet some of the critics out there. People are like, well, this, you know, what about the boosters? You know, they might chime in and this could, uh, you know, players could go from one school to the other. I got news for you. That's already happening. Regardless. You, that has nothing to do well, with We had the free transfer rule already. Bingo. To me, that's the bigger change. If you don't like the movement of, of a player getting plucked away from your school, I got news for you. The, that thing has already run the ship. That's a transfer portal thing. The, I think the NIL is more of a icing on the cake. Yeah, maybe some kid might go to a school in Florida instead of a school in California because there's no in-state you know, of the taxes. Maybe. But I think in the bigger picture, guys are moving because it's free. there's free agency now with the transfer portal. And look. Remember, you can only transfer once for free. Correct. But every sport's going to get plucked away. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen to UCF too, by the way. I hate to break it to you, us. We're going to get guys. We're going to lose athletes. Okay? So don't freak out. But we're going to lose athletes. And we're going to have to get some athletes ourselves. But I don't think that's an NIL issue. That's more of a free agency transfer thing because that's where a lot of tampering goes on. Just like in the pros where certain players from other sports will text the, hey, why don't you come over here? We have this and that. And then magically they enter the portal. That's going on. So, but I would not blame the NIL on that. I do think the interesting thing that's going to be fascinated about this, how does the media availability will work with this? For example, Dylan Gabriel has his own brand now, right? Had a press conference today where he, where he introduced it. Is he going to be allowed to wear his gear, his hat at on campus? Is he going to be allowed to wear it on the field? If he wants to wear his baseball cap, for example, hypothetically, Will he be, if he he's available to talk, to promote this? Is he allowed to promote it on campus? Now, I think it's a school-to-school thing. It's a state-to-state thing. I know this is a shocker, but not every state is on the same page on this. Yeah. <laughs> Where have I heard that? By the way, not every school is on the same page. This too. Correct. There, there was an interesting um, thing that came down. Uh, who was it that, that sent, this, sent this to us? Um, um, was it Bryson who sent it down? I forget. But uh, Bryson Turner, a very old Bryson Turner. Um, all over it, yeah. Um, or no, it was you who sent it around. So Darren Ravel reported that Oklahoma, okay, 
Their name image likeness policy states, this is according to Darren Ravel, states that the school's athletes cannot sign deals that conflict with the school's deals. Right. Including with, and this is who Oklahoma already has deals with as an institution, Anheuser-Busch, Chickasaw Nation, Coca-Cola, Fanatics, Gatorade, Jordan Brand, Mid-First Bank, Nike, and Rawlings for softball only. Right. So I find that pretty interesting. Does that yeah. mean that does that mean that an Oklahoma player cannot wear an Adidas hat on the sidelines because Correct. it's not Jordan yes. brand? Correct. I think on campus you cannot wear any of that. You can't wear that to your media availability. Or you can't be caught drinking a Pepsi. Correct. I think all of that is gonna probably be able to do that off campus, but not on campus. Uh, I think well, that's well on okay, so so here's an important distinction. Sure. On campus or off campus. Like, I mean if you're who's the quarterback for Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler, right? Right. Um, I mean, you could you could theoretically like go to cl- you know drink a Pepsi on your way to class, right? Sure. But um, when it comes to but ob- obviously you wouldn't be able to drink you know like a sport whatever Pepsi sports drink product is I forget on the sidelines of the game, right? Right. Correct. And, but I think what's going to happen in a majority of these cases, you're going to have the athlete work with the school. The school is hiring people to run this stuff, right? Like yeah. to help the a, lot, a lot of a lot of business schools around these campuses just got Correct. really excited. <laughs> but, I, but, but I think there's going to be an understanding. And by the way, that's no different than the real world, by the way. Like there are certain things I can't, you know, promote or say when I'm on the air on a broadcast on ESPN Plus. Right. Like I'm not going to be promoting Fox, you know, hey, UCF's on Fox. <laughs> Or whatever, right? Like, or not, you know, that there's certain... I think well, you're also not a student-athlete, but that's beside the point. Right, but but I think there's an understanding. I think the schools... Look, let, like, can we get... The schools, by the way, are for the athletes getting paid. I think there's this misperception that the schools don't want this. They actually do. They just don't want to pay for it, <laughs> right? right? They don't literally want to come out of their pocket, and they don't have to in this deal. Uh, but yeah, I think those are some of the tricky things, the slopes that they got to work around is what can they promote? What can they not promote? Because that was always been the issue is this, you know, school want their logo to be used by the athlete. Probably not in some cases, some, maybe they do. That's where they have to work out a deal. And I think that's still in the fluid situation in some cases, but some of these athletes may not be able to use the logo still, but they could just promote themselves outside of the campus. Some interesting news and notes from the UCF side of things in terms of uh, current and and some former UCF student athletes getting involved. In this first of all, I think the big news is Mackenzie Milton and Derek King, um, two former American Athletic Conference quarterbacks, now competing against each other within the state in the ACC, um, uh, are co-founders of a new NIL platform called Dreamfield. Um, the, the, uh, CEO of Dreamfield, by the way, is a UCF alumnus. Um, and he's also hired, uh, Corey Stanisia, who, um, helped us out with an interview with, um, uh, with Chip Lamarca when we were talking about this earlier, uh, when this, when this law was passed a, a, a summer ago, um, Milton will be the first active collegiate athlete with an NFT, a non-fungible token, which will drop next week. Um, so I think that's pretty – this, to me, kind of feels like an experimental way of, you know, kind of being a middleman in this that McKenzie's getting involved into. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that that, that 
this does feel experimental to me, right? We're going to see if we can, if, if this can work as a business model. It might, it might not. We'll find out. Yeah, look, there's going to be a lot of business models here that are not going to work. Like, a year, I, I just think a year from now, a lot of this stuff is going to be very routine. A lot of this stuff's going to go away. Yeah. A lot of this, some of it's this gonna might be kind of humdrum. It's going to be, a lot of it's going to be humdrum and boring. It's going to be, it's going to be camps, you know. Right. Maybe, maybe the occasional hat with a logo on it or something, but, um, you know, it, but it's going to be, yeah, like camps, you know, kids making money off of a YouTube channel that they do. Correct. They do, you know, um, if it's baseball, like hitting lessons on things like that, you know, it, 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 it'll be pretty boring. It really is. Because again, you got to consider, can you commit to a kid that might transfer a year in? Yeah. Uh, is a kid going to stay in school? How long is he going to stay? And things like that. Now you're going to have guys like a Tim Tebow. If you get a Tim Tebow type or a Johnny Menzel type or a Trevor Lawrence type, those guys are going to make a lot of money. There's Dante no Culpepper. Culpepper, I think, would have been that. I think Kevin, because he didn't blow up until his last year, I don't know if he would have cashed in as much. But, uh, you know, look, it is what it yeah, is. The, the, Griffin, the Griffin twins, probably McKenzie when he was here, that would have been, that sure. been some. Absolutely, right. So I think they're going to make their money. I don't think they're going to be billionaires. I don't think the sport is going to die. I think this college media, too, needs to stop freaking out. Like, stop freaking out. Because like, oh my goodness, this guy got twenty thousand. Like there was somebody there was like I saw there was pretty cool. A Marshall player now announced a football player for Marshall announced that he's going to be able to now to play guitar in front of people and make some money because that's what he likes to do. He's a musician. That's what to, to me. Kalia Davis of UCF brought up a good point. And sorry for interrupting, but yeah, I wanted yeah. to get this out because it's similar to that. Um, I think Kalia said that you know he he wants to stream him playing video games. Correct. Well, uh, he couldn't do that for revenue before via right. Twitch or whatever. Now he can. Correct. And that's a very popular thing, the, as you mentioned there as well. So I think it's going to be a lot of that. Yes. Are you going to have some boosters get involved in certain schools? Yeah. I got news for you, though. They already do. They already do. And I'm sorry, but the, the, the fa- if you think this college athletics was pure – you've been looking the wrong place for many years. There's this has been always going on. So that's not going to change. The big programs are still going to get their guys either legit or not legit, however you want to describe it. But I think in the big picture of this, I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal as everybody's making it out to be, because I think these athletes are smart. I think they know what they're doing. And I think, again, I think a lot of these institutions are for this. They just didn't want to do it under their own pocket, which is understandable. So I think this is a win-win for everybody. And I think the big winners are going to be the Olympic athletes because the Olympic athletes were going to be are going to stick around. Like, and Mark Daniels, I'll give him credit. LSU, everybody just assumes football players. The person that's probably going to make the most money is the LSU gymnast who yeah. has over a million followers. <laughs> yeah, and, either, and is not um, bad to look at if you've seen her. So my point is, she's going to make good coin. And I think a lot of the Olympic athletes will like for Alabama. I don't think the player that's going to make the most money is necessarily an Alabama player because they have too many good ones. How, how do you decide which one to pay? If you're in a sponsor, 10, 15, how's the market? You know, I think a Montana Fouts who is a young softball star at Alabama is probably going to make more money mm-hmm. because she's a clear cut star. She's the one you can identify with softball. Whereas with football, who are you identifying with? It's Nick Saban. And I don't, that's why I don't agree. Some people think, well, the athletes are going to steal money and endorsements from the schools. No, they're not. 
because the endorsements that endorse the schools are still going to do that. People that endorse Alabama football isn't going to stop endorsing football because they want to pay the running back. You know what I mean? Those and and, and vice versa. So um, I'm going to be fascinated by this uh, from that standpoint. I think it's a good middle ground. Uh, I still, you you could argue that the athletes are still not going to get what they've, you know, their, you know, their worth, but they get something. And I think this is, you know, I think usually if you have some people not completely happy, you probably reach the middle ground here and uh, we'll see. I think they'll work through it. Let's just not panic every time. All right, guys, let's not, I hope we don't get into this where every day we're like, man, this guy just made 40 grand. This guy made 50 grand. Uh, I hope it doesn't get to that. I will say this though, for college athletes, if you're a football player in particular in basketball, be prepared. If you don't perform well, you're now going to, you're going to hear it now big time. Like the days, those those endorsements are going to dry up pretty quick. Correct. I I think, but I think that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the beauty of the market in that respect though. Right. Sure. Because at the end of the day, it is still tied to your individual performance and your individual performance quite often is tied to your team performance. You know, if, if UCF football has a bad year next year, a lot of these guys are not going to get endorsement. They're, so they're now motivated to play really well. <laughs> you no, know, I agree. I agree. But I'm just saying that. I'm with, not saying that they weren't before, but it's just an additional motivation. But I think now what's going to happen is, whereas the majority of the time, when, a, let's say, UCF loses, the criticism would go towards the coach because that's the one that's getting paid the millions of dollars, lay off the kid, you know, he's right. Like remember the Matt Lee deal where he got criticized. A lot of people got upset. Social media got mad at him and it was unfair. And I agree. The problem now is if you're making money and it's out there in the public, now you're going to, you're, you're a target too. So if you struggle, I think you're going to see more negativity on social media towards backlash is kind of my point. So be prepared Um, for that. I, I see where you're coming from, but I don't necessarily think I agree because I think that now, I'm not saying that there's going to be no negativity at all, but I, I don't think it's going to be quite as widespread as you think because, first of all, it's widespread anyway. Um, you know, go ask some poor kid who makes a mistake, you know, drops a game-winning touchdown pass or something, you know, <laughs> how much negativity he's going to see. That's true. Um, That's true. And, and, and the other thing is I, I, I do think that most fans are at least smart enough to separate the two. Right. Ah, like, see, I don't know about that. Like, like you know, re- receiver X didn't drop that touchdown pass because you know he he has like a thousand hats with his logo on it. You know what I mean? I I don't see, you, you know, I, I I don't think people are gonna, uh, for the most part, I don't think that it's gonna be as bad as you're implying it's going to be. I mean, we'll see because you see it in pro sports. Obviously, if a guy struggles, man, we're paying this guy's making this amount and he stinks and this and that. Yeah, but he's he's making that money from the team. He's not making it money. Like, they don't yell at him because of the endorsements. You know what I mean? No, but I think you're still going to have some fans that will go after him because of that or go after the athlete for that. Hopefully not. I could be wrong. I hope you're I think you're going to – look, it's a negative. You know, social media could be negative. I would not be surprised if a player struggles and throws three interceptions and, you know, they're going to blame him for the – I mean, look, our friend Kyle Israel, man, he's he's told me the stories, man, how rough it was because of his Texas loss. Like, he never – he got death threats. I mean, and he wasn't making any money. Now, can you imagine – if Kyle Israel, for example, was making, and it was publicly announced 
that were reported that he was making like 80,000 on endorsements, people are going to, he, he's going to, he's going to hear about it if he doesn't perform well. I'm not saying it's right, but I think that's going to come. <clears throat> and I think athletes better be prepared. And I wonder how will this change the media access? Cause a lot of in college, you don't have to talk like the pros, the pros, you get fined if you don't talk post-game. A lot of athletes, I won't mention names, but usually don't talk post-game, especially if they lose. Will they have less access because, are they gonna be forced to talk now? Will they not talk at all? I think those are some interesting things to monitor here as we move forward, as far as how accessible are they going to be uh, by their own choice and by, you know, because before it would be the school's choice. Yeah. Now. Does the athlete want to be more available or does he only want to be available on social media? And I think those are some of the things and what happened, especially if it goes, I think, see, I think that was going to happen regardless. Maybe, you know, maybe I, I really do. I, I think we were heading that way post COVID with that regard. I mean, you know, with social media, you pull out the middle middleman anyway. So, you know, I, I <clears throat> and, and yeah, I, I, I think that was probably going to happen regardless. I wanted to get up a couple of other little notes about this. Um, Dylan Gabriel uh, has been uh, the, the world's worst kept secret is that he has a brand ready, uh, DG the brand. He announced that today in a press conference at UCF. Um, he's got to deal with a sock company already, which is pretty cool. Um, Rock'em Socks, I believe is what it's called. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, yeah, Rock'em Socks. And DG announced that. Um, CJ Walker uh, has joined the, uh, uh, and this is according to Stephen Leonard. Um, CJ Walker announced on uh, Instagram that he is partnering with uh, Dan Morgan of Morgan and Morgan um, as a, uh, and I think that's, that's more or less as like a representation deal for him. Um, let's see, what, what else do we see here? What were some other interesting things that we saw? Oh, Gabriel also said that uh, he was on Instagram Live. He does not plan to sell autographs, which some student athletes have been doing. Now, I thought that part was interesting. Um, not planning to sell autographs or do camps um, as he doesn't feel comfortable charging kids for that. I think the autograph thing is interesting because, like, you know, autograph seekers will tell you that you want to get the autographs of the kids when they're in college because you can, because they're basically they're free and they don't charge, obviously, for obvious reasons. And then they get to the pros and then um, it's like you buy low and you sell high, right? And autograph is sort of that sort of, you know, has that sort of stock market ish feel to it. And, you know, I think that if there are some student athletes out there who are going to charge for autographs, first of all, I mean, personally, I don't think that's very cool. But um, <clears throat> but if there are some who decide to do that, what they're doing is they're kind of reducing the value of the autograph seeker, which I think is interesting. You know, it, it, from an, from an economic perspective, because if you if you go from charging nothing for an initial thing to an to an initial to requiring an initial investment, like. You know that that obviously puts a crimp on the profit margin of the autograph of the autograph hound. You know what I mean? Sure. I think the issue though is, and a lot of the schools do this. They have their fan day where fans go meet the players and sign their posters. Yeah. Uh, I don't see a scenario where the players gonna. Nope. Sorry, I can't sign that because I got a deal. I think that's gonna. That's not. That's not a good way to to market yourself. Uh, well, also the well, also those fan days. At least I, I can't I can't speak for other schools, but at least at UCF, I know that's considered a team activity. Correct. So you know correct. when you're when you're in the scope of a team activity, as far as I understand it, you know you can't. It's it's kind of like what we were talking about before. With like if you show up on the cover of the media guide, you know you can't charge the school who's giving you the 
Right. You know, for, for putting your picture on the media guide, right? I think the autograph stuff will be interesting. I don't see that as much unless you're like a Heisman Trophy winner. Could I see a Heisman Trophy winner do an autograph session? Maybe. Sure. Uh, I, I, I don't have as big of a problem with that. I think I, if they were to like skip team activities, I would have a problem. But I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think I was surprised he's not pro camps because I do think a lot of guys, that's where you're going to make easy money is camps and lessons. Well, I don't think he's. I don't think he's against camps. I think he's against charging kids. What he was saying was he was against charging kids for like just doing the camp. Now, I'd, I'd be interested to see how that how that all works out in general because you know, I mean, if I was if I was a young high school quarterback, I would love to learn from Dylan Gabriel. Right. So there's you know? there's a, there's there's value there, and the difference between that and saying signing an autograph, you're like you're getting something out of it. Like you're spending an hour. It is t- taking your time. But you are learning things that you just don't learn by yourself. Right. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting, not just in football, but the other sports. I think softball, baseball, that will be the fun camps. And I'll be curious to see if coaches and players work together somewhat on this, where, you know, hey, you know, go to Gus Malzahn's camp and you'll see Dylan Gabriel there or, you know, vice versa. You know what I mean? Right. I could see some of this kind of work together a little bit. And you might obviously see camps. A lot of coaches, what they do in college, they'll run a camp and they'll bring invite other coaches to the camps. I could see a scenario, and I think you're going to see this with the players, where a player is going to hold a camp and he'll invite other players for that camp. I think yeah. you're going to see that. Friends of his from high school, you know, who went to yeah. another school. Yeah. Like you could see Mackenzie Milton invite Dylan Gabriel to one of his camps if Mackenzie right. decided to do that. Not saying that Dylan would do it. I'm just going hypothetical. Uh, like, don't be shocked if you see a McKenzie running a camp in Tallahassee and hypothetically Quadri Jones is there or whatever. Or, or Titus Mokiawa Timalala. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And then people are like, wait a minute. And you know what's going to happen there, Jeffrey? Oh, yep. the gossip. Oh, no. The transfer portal. Yep. Oh, yep. my God. Yep. Yep. You watch. That's going to happen now. Oh, the rumors on the message boards will blow up as soon when that happens. It's like, I think, I think what it comes down to is this, and we're going to wrap up with this. It's just, it's it's a new era, but trust the kids. Trust the kids. They're going to figure it out. Now, we are going to see, I think that unfortunately there are going to be some situations where you know, we are going to see some kids get involved in some deals that that really, you know, don't, that really hurt them. You know, and, and I hope I hope we don't see that. My hope is that the institutions, and I think UCF has done a very good job of this with their launch initiative, and I think we've seen also the coaches get out in front and provide advice to their student athletes about, hey, it's a new era. Just just be careful. All right, don't sign your life away to something. Um, you know, it's okay to be cautious with, um, you know, when you sign a contract, right? Um, but you know, it, it, you know, inevitably, someone makes a mistake along the line, right? And my hope is that those mistakes aren't too devastating to their financial futures and that not just at student athletes at UCF, but all around the American, all around the country are cautious and protective of their identities and of their financial security in the future and perform like that in the market, you know, because it's, it's easy to see a lot of dollar signs, right? But sometimes the, you know, the best thing to do in business is to say no, right? Um, and uh, 
and you got to read the fine print. You got to read the fine print on everything. And I'm glad that they're enabling people to get counseling from the universities as well as as well as um, uh, lawyers as well. I think that's really important. Um, and if I was a student athlete, I would have I would have somebody on call right away that I could send a contract to be like, hey, can you check this thing out for me? Make sure this is legit because um, it kind of sounds a little too good to be true. But then again, I'm the kind of person who is like. If it sounds too good to be true, chances are it is. You know, I, so well, we'll see. Like uh, I said, it, it'll be it interesting. Out. I think it'll be. I think you're right. It's going to be. It's kind of like. It's got. It's kind of like right after the Big Bang. You know, like everything's kind of flying around and nothing is settled yet. And eventually, things will settle down, and it'll. At the end of it, it'll be kind of boring. We'll be like, ah, okay, that didn't really hurt much, did it? Yeah. You know? No. I mean, you're gonna have your isolated incidents. Yeah, players gonna get snatched and whatever for different teams and stuff, but that's going to happen anyway. Uh, that'll be the hot topic. Oh, was this because I know it was a transfer portal? Was it because of the coach? Uh, I, I'm more concerned yeah. with like a kid who signs some, some like fly-by-night contract, you know, that all of a sudden they like owe somebody thousands of dollars somehow. <laughs> I don't think it'll get to that point. Um, I, well, I, you know, I, you there's, a lot of sh- there's, there's a lot of shyster stuff that happens. But that happens whether you have NIL or not. So let's not act yeah, like now this. it's going to happen publicly. Correct. <laughs> so a lot of this stuff was probably going to, was happening already, but now you're going to be more aware of it. That's it. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's my hope is that the players and, and as are, you know, from all sports are aware of it and, and, you know, protect their and protect their brand. You know, your name is your brand these days and that's okay. And, but I think it's a good thing overall that, you know, we're going to have a lot more people, um, who get involved in student, who, who are student athletes, who get involved in college athletics, learn what it's like to run a business, to run a small business, and that small businesses themselves, right? Um, I think that's always a good thing. Um, it's something that I didn't get the chance to learn personally when I was in high school or college, and I regret the fact that I didn't get the chance to. It's something that I'm learning on the fly in founding this site and starting this podcast, right? Um, I don't claim to know anything about really running a business but um you know i wish i would have had that experience i really do and it's a valuable experience for them they have a market they all have marketable skills and and it's a good thing that they get the chance to market that to the full because it does at the end of the day and i think this is the final thought on it it does enhance the educational experience we've got a lot of business majors who are student athletes and donald delahay brought this up he's like you know my career is not going to be kicking footballs it's going to be producing video content, and my learning insti- and and my institution at the time, and the NCAA were preventing me from doing that, from engaging in that career. Isn't this what I'm going to school for? And why are you telling me no? I can't do that now. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm I, he's you know it's so he and he made a big point. I think. At the end of the day, you can argue whether or not how he approached it was right. Well, he wrong, approached but, it wrong. He went but, after the school when the school was didn't. You know, they, there was nothing they could but, do. You, you but know, on that. principle, he was right. Eh, I mean, on, prin- on principle, he, I was, mean, he, he was right on that. He I, was I'm, given I'm, a I'm choice. Not say, I'm not saying that. Again, I'm not saying that the way he approached it was right. Right, because he made UCF to be the bad on people. Principle, right? The right. UCF was not the bad guys there. They're right. following rules. They have to. No kids want more important than thing. And those were the rules at the time. Uh, 
pick it up with the NCAA. But he was given the options. He chose the options he did. But don't go after the school. That what they that that's not their fault. <laughs> Blame you know. Well, I mean, we don't know what is we don't know what is what his lawyer at the time was advising him to do anyway. Well, the lawyers in general, you know, that's a whole other issue. For now, now lawyers listen to us. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah you, you always yell about lawyers until you need one. <laughs> well, I tried. I tried to avoid that. Well, I'm just saying. Man. Everyone likes to make fun of lawyers until you need one. Then you try and find the best one you can get. I'm just saying. We'll see. Shout All out right. to JP Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, JP. <laughs> I, I have no issues with him. He's the exception. <laughs> we got a bunch of exceptions, guys, who are lawyers, who are listeners. So we want to shout out all of them um, as well. Also, shout out to Jim Hadaway. So, all right, let's go ahead and wrap up this show. Um, thanks again to all of you for voting in the Black Gold Banneret Awards um, and for uh, getting your voices heard. Um, we appreciate you as always. Congratulations to all the award winners, all the nominees. Follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret. Also individually, Eric Lopez Elo, Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric uh, or follow us on Facebook rather on Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Subscribe to our newsletter via review on your inbox. We link to it on the site every day. You should see it this morning as well. Uh, and if you don't subscribe to us, you should uh, via Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you listen via Android devices. Eric, have a good weekend, bud. You too, sir. And thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We will see you again next week. Happy NIL Day. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs>